Welcome to Adaptivist Live, the Atlassian Ecosystem Podcast. This week, follow-ups, updates, power-ups, up-ups, slip-ups, I don't know what else. I'm Ryan Spilkin, your host, and I'm joined today by Matthew Stubblefield. Brenda is away today. Matthew, how you doing? Good, Ryan. Good to see you. How many times do you think I said up there in that introduction? I, I lost count. Not enough. Not enough. Well, I'll try and count them out. So I, I want to start with updates because last podcast. We, we owe you. We owe you all. all yeah. You, our listeners <laughs> at home, we owe you some updates. And last podcast, we attempted a section of updates and um, I had to cut it because we had gone a little long in the episode. And frankly, I had just not given anyone enough context in the conversation. It was just bad. So let's actually pick up. You may remember that two podcasts ago, we talked about automation for JIRA and the um, changes that were coming to cloud users who also used automation for JIRA. It turned that uh, turned out that um, we actually went ahead and followed up with Josh Frank from Atlassian about the communications around uh, the rollout of automation for Jira into the platform. And the pricing thing that we said two podcasts ago was right. We got it right. A rare occurrence. So as a reminder, if like Ryan, you have slept in the last month uh, since we first talked about this, if you are using automation for Jira on a, a cloud, as, as you would have to be, um, you know, automation for Jira was acquired by Atlassian. The, the company that makes it was acquired. It's being rolled in as part of the platform. Uh, but it's going to be part of their premium offering. As we talked about before, the premium is the sort of higher uh, stability, SLAs, guaranteed uptime, uh, much more expensive option of cloud. So if you are uh, currently using automation for Jira, you will be automatically uh, sort of moved into a trial of cloud premium for 90 days. Uh, so that way your use of automation for Jira is uninterrupted and you can see all the wonderful benefits of cloud premium. 90 days, free trial. The catch is that you will not be automatically downgraded at the end of those 90 days. You will instead be billed uh, for cloud premium. And when we first caught wind of this, as we, we talked on the podcast a month ago, we were a bit surprised. So as Ryan said, we, we, we did confirm that is how it's going to go down. Uh, you have to take action sometime during those 90 days, go out and downgrade to standard. It's called cloud standard if you don't want to be charged about 10 times more oh, than about. you were getting charged. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and if you do that, uh, our understanding is you would still have automation for Jira, but there will be a, a limit on the number of executions. So like if you have a workflow execution, if you have some sort of automation, um, you have a certain number per month, which for smaller customers is probably going to be fine. Um, but if you are a, a larger uh, in, you know, enterprise, larger number of users on cloud, uh, it will go quickly. Um, and you will run out of executions. And presumably at that point, 
just your automations fail. They just don't happen. They're not going to be queued and saved and executed the next month. They just will stop. They won't, they won't work. So be aware. Um, if you don't want cloud premium, you will have to take action manually, go out and downgrade yourself. It is unclear at this time if there will be communications, promptings, like things that say, hey, in two weeks, you're going to be billed this amount if you don't want to be. Uh, go downgrade. Uh, the comments that we got back on some partner confluence pages and whatnot um, imply to me that there won't necessarily be communications prompting you to downgrade. So keep so, an eye on that that time. Put it on your calendar. It's my recommendation. That's how I handle every one of those like sign up free for 30 days and in 30 days you're going to get charged at day 29. I have it on my calendar. Go, go, go cancel, cancel it. that thing. Oh, it's like all, it's like everybody who canceled Disney plus after they watched the Mandalorian. Right? <laughs> yeah. uh, it, it's uh yeah. So um, if you like cloud premium, great, you know, um, higher stability, but you know, good SLAs and whatnot. And, and in that case, do nothing. Uh, you'll just you'll get charged just at the pay, end of that ninety days, and you'll be good to go. Just pay more. Yeah, what? just pay more. Job done. And the other update that we had was about our cousins' pages. So this is from last podcast. We told you that um, we were talking about advanced search and talking about how um, in Jira, with the use of Script Runner, you're able to search for issues with issue links that have different kinds of links, etc. And so it came up because we were talking about confluence searching in the last episode that um, we weren't sure how to see cousin pages or um, ancestors Link, linked, linked yeah. link pages. Well, Matthew has clarified that one for us as well. We talked about how in Jira, you have to use Script Runner for Jira to uh, really uh, search through uh, linked pages and do recursive searching and like really pull that up. Uh, it turns out, same solution in Confluence. Uh, it's, it's not a native built-in thing, but Script Runner for Confluence does have a custom CQL. That's the Confluence query language. Um, there's a custom CQL function um, that you can create called linked pages. Uh, we'll link to our documentation. All right, Ryan, so that gets our past updates out of the way. Whew. Let's look at the present. Oh, my. And then we'll gaze into the future. <laughs> yes, exactly. We have a series of Atlassian updates, as we so often do. They're brief, though, so we are going to uh, rocket fire these back and forth. Jira 8.7.1 bug fixes. Um, <laughs> as always, all of these, we won't say it over and over again. We're going to link to the releases. You can take a look at them. I think the, the biggest one for 871 is around cluster monitoring. If your node name, for whatever silly reason, has a colon in it, don't know why you would do that. But if you did, um, this, this fixes your cluster monitoring. Um, but yeah, minor uh, bug fix point release for Jira. And similarly, there is a point fix release for Confluence as well in 7.3.2. In this one, um, there are some big fancy words to fix big fancy problems. But I noticed that uh, Firefox users have been affected by my favorite shortcut key, by the, the lack of my favorite shortcut key, which is the E key. So the newest release fixes that for Firefox users out there. Um, some collaborative editing macro funniness is fixed in there, as well as some support for um, back-end tools. So it's really just sort of an invisible update, point fixes, as it were. Yep. 
Jira Portfolio 3.21, uh, not just bug fixes, but uh, as they have continued their very iterative uh, release cycle, um, there's yet another field type that we can now sort by, which is the single choice select custom field. So we can sort based on that now, which is nice. Um, also, the releases call out uh, some things that we've we've highlighted in the past. So 3.15, 3.20 releases. Uh, there were some improvements to, to make it easier to distinguish between users, like being able to see um, their profile picture or being able to, to um, hover over it. Um, now, when you hover over, uh, 3.21 adds email address and username. Um, so again, just make it easier to see a unique identifier for a user. And then a couple of uh, performance stability ones, particularly around JQL, uh, so just for the target end and target start uh, um, sort of fields that were added in a, in a recent uh, update for, for JQL searches. So it's just fixing that. Over on the cloud front, there are a lot of rolling out changes, adding in functionality to, to the cloud that you're used to seeing in Jira server or data center. Not that that's a bad thing. I noticed one of the rolling out changes was in the, in the Jira platform, you're able to now view the Epic panel from your backlog. Great. That's a good way to organize your issues. Um, also new this week in Jira, there is a change to how anonymous users are going to be reported in uh, your issue history. So if you do allow um, anonymous use in Jira, which is sometimes a thing, Jira will now actually tell you that it's it was an anonymous user who made a change instead of Jira automatically updated an issue, which is a key difference there. Well, why did Jira automatically update this? <laughs> oh, I would want to know. Um, there's also... Uh, an interesting feature that rolled out earlier in the month where you can now have a better overview of the custom fields that are being used in your instance of Jira. Um, so they have kind of re-engineered the user interface around working with custom fields to where now you can see how many you have, what kind they are, and easier access to the screens that they're on and the contexts that they're being used in. So there's some, it's just nice kind of backend stuff for the Jira admin admins of the world. Nothing else terribly, terribly interesting over in the cloud. I'm excited to see the interface for this custom field thing. Um, as that rolls out and I get it on my cloud instance and because the deal with custom fields as an admin is a pain. It's spread across multiple different screens. Oh. There's, the, the language use is a bit uh, unintuitive, and especially when you start getting a field configuration and custom field context configuration. Like, oh man, if that can be simplified in some way, that would be nice. That would be that would be so useful because I think contexts being so powerful can really help mm -hmm. people cut down on duplicating fields, but getting to contexts and understanding how they fit—that's yeah. a little harder. And Matthew, while we've got our heads in the clouds, let's talk about one of our favorite cloud apps, Trello. Mm. Well, it turns out that we've got some cool news from Adaptivist in, in Trello land because we've now acquired six Trello power-ups from a company called Aura. So now, board export, private notes, time tracking, do next, card delete, and daily updates are all coming to you from Adaptivist now. And I got to say, as a user of export for Trello, 
this really changes the game. These are these power ups add amazing saves you a bunch of time right yeah oh i wrote an internal blog about this because i was so excited (laughs) and it's about the podcast i don't want to give anybody too much inside baseball but when it comes to putting together that soundcloud list of links it used to be a lot of clicks for me to get it all together and now with export for trello it's two clicks and roughly 30 40 seconds in a text editor and i've got it all done it went from Mm -hmm. half an hour to maybe three minutes and that's amazing yeah, yeah. What's also interesting is a behind-the-scenes thing. While we did acquire these power-ups, we then effectively rewrote all of them. <laughs> so, like, we we built a uh, sort of a development platform and framework and testing solution, and we modernized them, and um, uh, they're pretty sweet. Um, so that's been kind of interesting to see. You know, I'm I'm in the product management group and and in our Slack channels around them, and. Um, kind of overhauled them really quickly. Uh, so they're, they're solid. Um, and it opens up some exciting opportunities for uh, both us and for our users. Yeah, some really exciting tools that fill functionality gaps that just weren't there before. So the update train, uh, still leaving the stage, we've got a series of sort of developer-type updates, starting with Bitbucket Server 6.10, which is an enterprise release. So if you've been looking or, or waiting to upgrade Bitbucket server so that it's like stable for two years and you don't need to worry about it a whole lot. Uh, 6.10, the one to go to. Um, it also kind of sets you up for the upgrade to 7.0 next year. In and of itself, Bitbucket 6.10 does not have a lot of new features, bug fixes, or anything like that. It's an enterprise release. Like it's kind of like they've already been sorting a lot of these things, right? And so now it's pretty stable. There were a few bug fixes. Uh, there were some security fixes as well. Uh, so definitely recommend upgrading to 6.10, put that into your, your plan uh, to help protect against remote code executions and some other uh, issues that are addressed in this release. And then uh, if, you, if you do want to go to 7.0 next year, you'll be in good shape, which will bring you um, two-way diff pull requests and other things that we've talked about in previous podcasts. And while Bitbucket 6.10 is getting to an enterprise release, we have an early access release for Bamboo 7. Uh, so this is the one to put on your staging environment. Never, never in production. Never. Uh, there are a number of breaking changes in Bamboo 7. Uh, we've been talking about break- breaking changes for the last few podcasts, uh, things around compatibility with different databases and things like that. If you use Bamboo, um, Bamboo 7 with uh, divergent branches, early access program, start getting it on staging and uh, uh, checking that out. Because once we hit EAP, we are presumably just a month or two away, I think, from, uh, from release. Um, there is a link uh, on, we'll be linked to a page as usual, um, which links to a discussion in the developer community forums, you will have to have an account that's been kind of granted access to that to get to it. But uh, And our last, uh, but certainly not least, sort of developer update uh, is around Atlassian Forge. So for you plug-in developers out there, you've probably heard of Forge. It's Atlassian's new, um, I, you know, I'm not a developer. I probably don't have the right language to discuss this, but new tool set. Let's call it a tool set, a platform, a process platform, for developing yeah. Atlassian apps. Yeah, it's a thing like that. Yeah, <laughs> um, one of those things. It is. 
It is the uh, descendant. We keep using that term. Um, it, it is the uh, successor to Connect. So when Atlassian launched Cloud, uh, however many years ago, uh, in order to create Cloud plugins, you used Connect to do that. Um, the problem is Connect is inherently insecure, uh, which is something that I realized after a few years. Um, and this is a big deal for large enterprises who, you know, Atlassian would like to see them move to the cloud. Uh, so Forge is uh, there to solve that problem. Uh, the post we'll link to includes a sign-up for the private beta of Forge. So if you are a developer, you want to start working with Forge, you want to start um, seeing what this is all about, uh, hit up that link in the show notes and go sign up for the private beta. Um, in the meantime, uh, after the first paragraph of this post, it's all about Connect and just saying Atlassian is still investing in Connect. They're still working on that because that is the only platform available right now. So you can't launch um, an app with Forge today. You're still going to have to be doing Connect. Um, but if you get into the beta and you start learning Forge and like you can be ready day one, um, you know, addressing some of those security things are that's a, a top priority for large enterprises uh, on the cloud. And my guess is there will probably be a time period during which the marketplace has both Connect and Forge apps. And I suspect we'll see like a Forge badge or like a, a, there'll be a validation program or something that sort of advertises like, ah, this app has been made with Forge and therefore is more secure and awesome and, you know, everybody should get it. So uh, if you're a developer, uh, I, think it, I think it's good to take advantage of uh, the private beta if you can get access and, and start playing with this a bit. So Ryan, all the Atlassian stuff aside, I know that uh, I got you using one password recently because Adaptive's transition to that. How uh, how'd you get in there? Was it did it work easily for you? Well, um, I like to think of myself very much like um, you know President's group from Spaceballs. One, two, three, uh-huh. four, five is the combination to my luggage. <laughs> you know, so, so well, hopefully um, it's helping you helping you generate a, a bit stronger password than that, and then you'd only have to remember the one thing. But uh, yeah, it's something that. Uh, you know, a lot of people have been switching to password managers the last few years. I've been using one for over a decade because it, it makes life easier only having to remember, you know, a few numbers. But I've got like over 600 accounts in there and all these different confluence. And I've got Bitbucket server and then a different thing for Bitbucket cloud and then Bamboo. And we've Other got like instances four different of cloud instances. And But, you know, cloud aside, because it's its own, you know, they got their things. But, you know, all the different data center instances and server instances and... uh Okta and Artifactory and all these these things. So it's a lot to keep on top of. I'll say. So for our viewers at home, uh, you know, I always recommend. I think it's good security practice of a password manager. But for those of you who are Jira admins, IT admins, you might be looking for ways to make things easier for your users. And if you aren't aware, Atlassian, like out of the box, they kind of support some some you know, integration with Active Directory and other things like that make your lives easier. But if you've got multiple instances to manage, you really need something to uh, extend that authentication and, and facilitate something like single sign-on. makes it easier. And so uh, today, we have a special guest on the podcast. We're bringing on Resolution and Christian Reichert to talk about SAML SSO and how you can both make your individual life easier by having fewer things you have to remember and make your users' lives easier and reduce security incidents by uh, simplifying their 
sort of authentication while increasing security. Christian, welcome to the podcast. Hey guys, and, and by the way, I use one password as well. It's actually uh, a great service, but um, it um, it's also a slightly different need um, than um, than what you see um, more in the inter- enterprise. What we see there happening quite a bit actually today is um, that from small to large enterprises, enterprises are actually going more um, from the enterprise IT and security side towards um, managing a single identity so that you only have uh, within most of your enterprise accounts uh, at least one single username and uh, password combination. And even more than that, um, um, usually they try to um, uh, combine that with a second factor. There are some studies out that about between 70-80% of data breaches that we've seen recently could have been avoided um, using uh, two-factor authentication. So one tip at home, if you have 2FA on your personal account somewhere to be able to turn on, turn it on. It really makes a big difference um, to the risk you're taking. And enterprises don't ignore that. They obviously um, see that as well. So the good times of changing your password every 30 days uh, are thankfully over. So it's much more now um, have a single account, um, have a strong password on it, and ideally um, a second factor. But uh, Jira, Confluence, like out of the box, server does they don't support 2FA, do they? They don't have like a, a 2FA mechanism? No, you would need um, a third-party add-on. But um, the thing is, if you, if you just install a marketplace app to do two-factor authentication, then you have a second factor in your um, Jira or Confluence. Um, but that's still somewhat annoying. Just imagine if you have 15, 20, 30 enterprise applications and each one of them is not just only going to ask you for your password, but also for a second factor. So in, instead of maybe saving a password in the browser and clicking through, it now takes you an extra 15, 20 seconds to pick up your token, look at it um, and log in. Um, that makes it uh, quite secure, but also annoying to you as a user. And that's uh, really where... Um, single sign-on comes in and with single sign-on we usually um, think about um, you log in once and you're logged into all your enterprise applications yeah in a Microsoft AD environment that might be just by you logging into your domain joint PC or in other environments you get asked for your username password token once um, uh, and then you can use all the enterprise applications and that's really uh, a big drive where enterprise goes to for variety of reasons, security, compliance, um, the ability to um, uh, to have um, better um, audit logs, etc. Um, so for, for a lot of Jira admins that I get to talk to, and when I mention Jira, I mean all of the applications, Confluence, Bitbucket, etc., that I get to talk to, uh, for them, the, the challenge is um, they get driven by their enterprise IT um, to include their Jira confluence into those um, single sign-on environments. Uh, and at the same time, it certainly helps them as well. So instead of um, potentially managing your users manually, creating them, um, and um, do moves add changes on them, deactivate them when they leave, um, you can more or less outsource that or get your central um, identity uh, management system or IDP to do that. And, and certainly from, from the user side, it makes a big difference as well. I mean, um, there's a big difference to you logging in once and you can use most or all of your enterprise applications compared to having to log into Jira here, Confluence there, and then your um, Salesforce.com and 20 other applications one after each other. So how does Resolution's product line address these issues? 
Well, I mean, our um, we, we have a um, we have multiple plugins. Um, uh, our sort of flagship product that does most of everything is the SAML single sign-on. Um, it's the number one app in in the marketplace. And it allows you to uh, authenticate via SAML. And SAML is uh, sort of one of the two most prominent uh, single sign-on protocols and the most common sort of in enterprise use. Um, to integrate the uh, Atlassian applications into um, such a SAML infrastructure that could be ADFS and Active Directory or Azure AD, Okta, Google G Suite. Um, most of those identity providers support SAML um, as the main protocol. Uh, today, so we allow to integrate that. But you mentioned um, in the intro that Atlassian sort of does that on data center as well. That's absolutely correct. They have a basic uh, SAML implementation on data center. Um, but if you look at um, at this single sign-on, um, there are most of the time two challenges enterprise customers or enterprise admins have to overcome. One is the actual authentication, so authenticating a user that's already in your Jira or Confluence. And the data center SAML can do that, yeah, in, uh, in a certain, um, if it's, it's basic, but it can do that um, if you don't have too many um, security requirements. But the second part is actually um, most often the more interesting challenge, which is around how do I get the users into my Jira confluence, the user records in the first place. Yeah, if you can't use LDAP, then there isn't much that data center SAML or other solutions can do for you. And, and that's one of the things that our um, SAML plugin actually um, sourced by, um, by being able to do just-in-time provisioning, which is basically creating users when they log in hmm. uh, based on the information we get from the IDP. But even further, we also um, have some um, synchronization to some of the most common identity providers like Azure AD, Okta, et cetera, where we actually use their APIs, where we implemented their APIs, uh, do something similar less than us with synchronizing with LDAP so that we can synchronize um, the user databases there. And that's where um, a lot of um, what Atlassian does with their um, summer falls short. It has no way of provisioning those users. And then there's a lot of other gotcha. enterprise features, but I don't think um, that's really time to go into that. Um, yeah. It reminds me of when I started out as a Jira admin uh, back in the days of yore and uh, discovered that, you know, like back on version two, the way authentication worked was you signed in, uh, a cookie was dropped on your computer. And then every time about Jira and Confluence, every time you reloaded the page or you navigated, that cookie was sent back and forth uh, with your authentication details. And cookies, by their nature, are plain text, which means your username and password is just being sent back and forth <laughs> to your computer in the system. Um, and, uh, you know, so SSL was a requirement. But the nice thing about SAML, uh, for, for our listeners who are less familiar with it, correct me if I'm wrong, I am not an expert in most anything. Uh, but uh, it's tokenized, which is to say you're not sending that username and password like that. It's not only just that it's encrypted, but like at that point you have this sort of unique token that's getting passed back and forth between your computer and the uh, identity and access management system and the Atlassian systems. And like, it just adds another nice layer of security there. Yeah. And that, that's the nice thing about um, Samuel, exactly what you say. The, the only place where you actually have to enter your username, password, and token, and that actually knows um, your details, is the identity provider. So that would be Azure AD or ADFS. Um, and from that on, it's only public uh, key cryptography. So our plugin, for example, never sees the, uh, the user's password. So we can't lose it. We can't do anything with it. Um, we just crypto get basically a cryptographically signed message from the identity provider that we trust. 
hey, this user has successfully authenticated and that's who he is and maybe some more information like to which groups he belongs, etc. what we use for the just-in-time provisioning. Um, but that is really the, the beauty of it and why SAML as a protocol is so successful in that um, enterprise federated thing. You, you don't give your password to any cloud service, any third party, um, or if your Jira is hosted in AWS, that's a, a common driver for people going away from LDAP to, to something like SAML because you don't have to store the user's password in the instance anymore. It's only that identity provider who does it. And then those identity providers are usually... Um, pretty good at enforcing additional security. So you can have what most of them call access policies. So you could say things like, this group of users needs to have a second factor, can only log in from this kind of location, uh, only from this kind of device. So there's a lot of uh, additional stuff because those identity providers are very specialized. What they can do and what they do to um, make sure that login is actually uh, valid and secure. We've heard recently that you've made some acquisitions around the ecosystem and have added some more tools to your toolbox. But uh, what's next on the horizon for Resolution? Do we have any announcements coming from Summit that you want to give our listeners a little early sneak peek on? <laughs> little early access? Well, you're certainly right with, uh, with acquisitions. I mean, um, around Christmas, we actually launched... Um, a uh, few additional apps that uh, that we developed um, all around in that user management space and solving some of the remaining issues that people have there, like um, API token authentication um, to get rid of basic auth in um, the Jira ecosystem or, or uh, Confluence. Um, we also just acquired apps uh, OpenID Connect, which is another uh, common protocol um, or auth OpenID Connect um, for single sign-on. Um, which is getting more popular. And by the way, Lesson just implemented that in data center as well. They announced at um, end of Jan. For Summit, there's actually not too much um, special that we have. So it's consolidating a lot of the stuff um, that we've just done, which also means doing a lot of um, tutorial recordings, a lot of documentation, because I think that's one of the things um, that, that our customers um, like about our apps, that we help them get started with them um, relatively easily. Uh, so there's a lot of work ahead of us um, to do that. And then second half of the year, it's um, we have a, quite a roadmap full of um, cloud apps because, I mean, we all know uh, the futures in the cloud. So I don't think um, definitely data center is not going to go away anytime soon. Um, <laughs> but um, there's certainly uh, we need to get more into the uh, cloud bandwagon. So we have some apps in that space already, um, but there's more to come. Excellent. Christian Reichert from Resolution, thank you so much for joining us today. And uh, Matthew, will, Matthew and Brenda, we'll see you at Summit. Okay, great. Thank you very much. And last but not least, we have an interesting post found on Atlassian's developer blog around acquisitions and venture capital funding within the ecosystem. And, you know, I'm... Um, the, the article talks quite a bit about the acquisitions that have recently happened in the Atlassian ecosystem, except for the ones that Adaptivist has done. And I'm not, I'm not offended or I'm not hurt or anything. I don't feel left out. Katrina Morales, when you wrote that article and left out all of our awesome acquisitions, it's fine. It's fine. But this post being in the developer blog seemed strange to me. So I had to flag it to Matthew and be like, Matthew, is, this is a marketing blog, right? Yeah, yeah. And Katrina Morales, who, who wrote this, you know, her sort of byline says she's on the ecosystem marketing team. 
focusing on developer content and events. With with the way it's written, it it kind of comes across as, hey, developers, write yourself an app and maybe you'll get acquired (laughs) and make a lot of money. Like that's that's, kind of how it reads, right? That's the vibe I got from it. And I don't want to give Katrina a hard time. I know she is working to deliver valuable content to the people who engage with it. But I just, I would, I really think that building something just with the goal of selling it to someone else so that they can have it, you know, not, not a product per se, but the, the idea, the IP itself, it's not solving a, if you're not solving a problem, if you're just looking to offload something and get some money, this is the wrong way to go about things. Yeah, it, it won't be successful. And in, in our talk with Resolution just earlier in this podcast, you know, they mentioned their acquisitions, but you'll notice that uh, it was to round out their portfolio. And a lot of the times, uh, the, the most successful plugins in the, the ecosystem are ones that fill a gap. You know, there's a, a gap in what Atlassian provides. And so this plugin approach that Atlassian's made that's so brilliant lets developers and partners come along and, and fill those gaps and provide value to users. So, and let's say you've done that. Um, and, uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with being acquired. And, and there's nothing wrong with kind of like wanting to see that happen, to grow, to get more support. Because one of the neat things as a developer, let's say you're working on your own, if you can get acquired, it, it can often lead to getting more resources. You know, now you have a team of people who are working towards your app. And that's, that's the way a lot of the adaptress acquisitions have gone. We see an app that, you know, we like to use, that our users like. It's one person, somewhere doing it. And then we can, you know, invest to build a team around that to, to bring more value to our customers. And so, like, that can be good. One of the things I haven't seen a lot of in the Elastic ecosystem, maybe it happens, um, but I haven't seen a lot of it as developers actually looking to be acquired, right? Um, so a tip that, that this article doesn't share, but that I want to throw out there uh, for those of you who are interested in, in sort of the, the merger acquisition type thing, if you are that lone developer, step one, write an app that solves a problem uh, where there's a gap. Good place to start. And then if you are interested, yeah, yeah. And if you are interested in getting more resources, if, if you, you kind of want to pursue this, look for an Atlassian partner or look for a company where what you're doing aligns with their portfolio of services, um, where, they, where they're kind of working in a similar market, but where it's a problem that they haven't solved. Uh, and I think, you know, we didn't talk about this in depth with, with Christian and Resolution, but like he mentioned OpenID and, and acquiring this OpenID thing because it was a, uh, an authentication approach that their app wasn't solving at the moment and they wanted to add that functionality. And so they makes sense. They, they went out yeah. and got that because sometimes building is cheaper than buying. And so the companies are looking to fill out their portfolio. There's nothing stopping you reaching out and saying, hey, I've developed this solution. Um, do you want to work together on it? So it is, you know, being a marketing thing on the developer blog, it's a little, a little odd, but I, I think there's, you know, there's, there's things we're thinking about there. Um, and so... Uh, we can all aspire to getting bought out one day. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not selling out. I'm buying in. <laughs> All right, everybody, that's it for this edition of Adaptivist Live. Thanks for listening to us. We appreciate it if you uh, share this podcast wherever fine podcasts are shared. Be sure to connect with us on social at Adaptivist. And until next week, for Matthew Stubblefield, I'm Ryan Spilkin, and we'll see you next time on Adaptivist Live. For 
our listeners, all there was a bunch of faffing about that Ryan has presumably cut out of the podcast. I'm cutting this uh, right now. <laughs>